Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Good morning. I hope you're inspired by that. If you've never been out there in the mission field, taking a short-term mission trip or any such thing, be inspired. You see, these are everyday people of our congregation that have made that commitment to go. And we're talking about missions this month. It's September. It's been our focus. Wednesday nights have been amazing. If you haven't been here on Wednesday nights, you're missing out. We have heard from some of our missionaries. We have uh, some great food every Wednesday as well. Not that you should be coming out for that, but it's always helpful. You know, Wednesdays, if you're coming late and you need a little dinner, you can do that. And we're looking forward to really just keeping things rolling right into the fall. It's uh, something we heard this morning. First day of fall is officially here. So our Wednesday evenings, as we conclude next Wednesday with our uh, focus on missions, we're going to roll right into uh, Wednesdays in the Word. If you received this flyer this morning when you walked in, look at it. There's some great things that are going to continue happening in and around here on Wednesday evenings. We want to build you spiritually. We want to build you in the Word of God. Uh, You'll see right at the top of that uh, little handout there, the Rooted One A class will be offered on Wednesday evenings beginning on October 3rd. And we began a class this morning too, and it had a great turnout. This is a foundational class for any and all. If you've got questions about the Lord, if you've got questions about Christianity, it's a great place to get your questions answered. And we want you to be a part of it. And you can look over all of these uh, classes. We have a great, great lineup. And I encourage you to make Wednesday evenings part of your week. It's, it's the middle of the week when, A, the boss is getting down on you. The week is heavy. Come on out and drop all that. Praise the Lord. We're going to take time to uh, lift up the name of the Lord and praise and Then we break into these classes, and you see some great ones there. There's uh, Becoming What You Believe, Dr. Annalie Dunn. We have the Parables of Jesus with Daryl Perkins. It's going to be a fantastic class. We have some groups for men and women, Every Man a Warrior. Uh, We have Discerning the Voice of God for the Ladies. And uh, for the Route 33 group, which is 18 to 30-ish, Uh, they're going to be meeting in the Welcome Center, and uh, they've got a a special uh, group going on and a class that Kathy Dykstra's leading, so there's some great things happening. And that's a great group, by the way. They keep us young. Uh, I don't know if it's, uh, if I was looking old, I I don't know, it's, for whatever reason, my hair, I I don't get it, but, you know, I got my hair cut, so people told me again, hey, you're looking younger, I, took it, I take that great. Someone told me I look like a teenager again, so I'm, I'll welcome that. But we went out last night with this Route 33 group. They keep us young. They kept us on our toes. We had a blast. They organized just a wonderful road rally. And I just want to say thank you to Eliza Hood and to Veronica Choir. They did a great job. They put together an excellent competition. No one was arrested by the police in this road rally, even though it was very competitive. 
Uh, and us in the old car, the pastors, uh, we had uh, Barry and Linda Allen with Julie and I and Todd and Robin Carly. We came in second place. We were close. We were close, but it really was a... <laughs> It really was a great, great time. We have such a great group of young people around here. I'm hopeful for the future because they are wonderful, wonderful uh, people. And we had just, just such a good time with them. Uh, we're, um, as I said, rolling in our missions month. If you were here last week, I talked about the idea of one. Our theme is one by one and when you're talking to someone about Jesus, oftentimes it is one on one. And another is one to Jesus by us when it is that one on one. It takes someone, someone, oftentimes to bring that saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to a person. Yes, of course, people watch TV and maybe it's a, a radio program, a podcast, and they, they might uh, come to the Lord. Yes, the Lord works in great ways like he did for the Apostle Paul and he just came to him and knocked him down. But that's not the norm. God has called us to be a part of his kingdom and to advance his kingdom and he wants us to share the love in our heart that we have for Jesus. And many, many times it comes down to one. We are all someone who can be used by God to build his kingdom. Let's keep that enthusiasm and that attitude as we're out and about on our daily journey, whether it's at work, home, school, wherever we're at, to be used. And this morning I want to consider the missionary work of one. One person, and yeah, he had a group of people helping him out, uh, and even though his missionary efforts were about 2,000 years ago, we can still learn and apply some of the things that this missionary was doing to our own missions and the, the missions that we support here and how we can affect the kingdom of God. I, I think we'll see some things just haven't changed all that much. We can get some insight from uh, this person's uh, mission efforts and from the letters he wrote in our uh, united reading of the Word of God. Uh, we have been together reading God's Word as a church. And if, if you don't know that, just look at the back of your bulletin and you'll see a little schedule. You can read along with us. We've been reading from this missionary's letters, the uh, great Apostle Paul. And he was a fantastic missionary. We concluded last week on Monday, 1 Corinthians, and we rolled into his second letter, 2 Corinthians. And it really is excellent to read those letters back to back because the one really carries right into the other. In both of these letters, the apostle gives us practical wisdom that we can apply in our daily life and our daily spiritual life. But he also writes about his missionary efforts. And we can learn from that. At the close of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16, there's a little bit about Paul's missionary life. So I want to read that to you this morning. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Again, we read that on Monday. And I want to read to you and remind you of the first nine verses. If you've read it, 
it will be a, a review. And if you haven't, listen along or open your Bible or uh, your device that you have your Bible on and follow along. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. And the apostle writes this, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. Or, for I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. So here in these first nine verses, we get a little taste of missionary life. We get a little taste of this missionary evangelist in the closing chapter of his first letter to the Corinthians. What, is, what does the apostle share with us? What does Paul give us? He gives us some of his travel plans. He included an itinerary of sorts. I'm gonna be coming through Macedonia, he writes. I'll probably stay with you. That, that's, uh, that's standard missionary practice. We'll get a call from time to time. Hey, I'm coming through. Need a place to stay. You got a house? Got somebody who can put me up? Because the missionaries, they don't, they don't have a home in every port. They don't have a home in every city. They're looking for places to stay. And this is what Paul's saying. I, I'm going to be staying with you. I, I might even stay the whole winter. Get some people to store up some food or something because I'm going to be sticking around for a while. I could use your help. But I need to let you know, I'm staying in Ephesus for a while. I'm going to stay at, at least until Pentecost. So like a lot of missionaries, you know, this planning is fluid. It's not really that solid. Their life is a little bit dynamic. I'm going to stay on till in Ephesus. Why? Well, because a great door is open to effective work. This guy's got some momentum. I'm going to stick around here to get something done because God's doing something. I'm going to be a part of it. And I'm staying till at least Pentecost. I'm going to put that, uh, put that date out there. But I'm sticking around here. God's opened a great door, even though, he writes, even though I'm getting, I'm getting some opposition. So there's good things happening, and that's, again, standard missionary talk. Great things are happening, but I'm getting opposed. Now, if he had uh, planned to leave earlier, his plans had changed. He's letting them know. His timeline has changed. But he put that hard day to Pentecost out there, and he was going to stay around in that other city until then. He also asked for some money, too. At the open there, he said, please set aside a sum of money, just like I asked the churches in Galatia, because the church in Jerusalem was in need. 
There was some troubles in the church in Jerusalem. There were some people who were uh, poor. He, he mentions that in some of his other letters. So Paul is saying, hey, uh, I'm going uh, to be in need of some uh, funds, too, for this other church. And churches and missions, they just don't run on air. They don't run unless they're funded. Fundraising and traveling. There's the missionary's life. And not much has changed since the first century. That's pretty standard practice. The need is still large for us to promote. The need is still large for us to proliferate the message of Jesus Christ. That is why we're doing this. This is why we take an entire month to talk to you about the missions that we support, whether they be local right here in our own uh, community or whether they be out in places like we heard from this video, Mexico, Uganda, other places that are beyond our borders. We want the message of Jesus to proliferate and to be uh, promoted. And we might find some things to model and exemplify regarding our own mission work from this earliest missionary, the Apostle Paul, from what he documented for us in the New Testament. I think there's some things we can learn. And let's, uh, let's roll into Paul's second letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. As much as he had expressed his desire to visit the church in Corinth and come to that city, he didn't actually make it. So he wrote a second letter. And it wasn't very long after the first. But he's got a little bit of explanation in there. So I want to take a look now at the first 11 verses of 2 Corinthians. Because he picks up again on this uh, theme of his travel. It reads like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raised the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope, that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answers to the prayers of many. So now, Paul, this is his introduction. And at the end of this first chapter, he gets a little bit to his travel. And I'm, I'm going to touch on that in a bit. But he described here at the open 
some hard times. Some hard times he was having in the province of Asia. Now you can read about this in Acts chapter 19. If you want to know about it, just read that, that chapter. Where was the apostle? He was in the city of Ephesus, and he had mentioned that at the close of 1 Corinthians. We know that. He said, I'm going to stick around in Ephesus for a while. That's in Asia Minor or the province of Asia that was part of the Roman Empire. And he was making great strides. He was making great strides. He had momentum. People were changing. They were coming to Jesus Christ. They were putting aside their silver idols. They were putting aside uh, their idolatry to the goddess uh, Diana or Artemis, as uh, she's called. It's whether you go Greek or Roman. And that's one of the things that Ephesus was famous for, this great temple to Artemis or to Diana. Not only were many laying aside their idols for this uh, goddess, but Paul's preaching had affected a book burning. And it was amazing. The sorcerers, the magicians, people who practiced these magic arts in, in Ephesus, they brought their scrolls, their magic arts, their incantations, and they brought them out publicly and they burned them. Now, this was not some phony show of change. It was not. Because X-19, it documents for us how much these scrolls were worth. It says 50,000 drachma. Now, you might say, well, was that pesos? I mean, because 50,000 pesos is like a half a buck, right? So what, what is this? Well, 50,000 drachma was about 125 years of annual salary of the average worker. This was a lot of cash. So these people had been affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ to the point that they were laying aside their idolatry. They were laying aside their sorcery. Paul had wrote a great door for effective work had opened, and indeed it had. And he said there was opposition, and that's true. Have you ever been opposed for bringing Jesus? Have you ever been opposed for loving Jesus? We might be able to relate a little bit. Not everyone liked all of these changes. There was a rebellion among the silversmiths. Why? Because their business was drying up. Nobody wanted a silver idol of Diana anymore. Well, it's worthless. They were figuring that out. They'd come to the truth. So the livelihood of the, the uh, silversmiths was on the line. Paul's life was truly in danger because there was an insurrection in the city of Ephesus. See, when someone comes to Jesus Christ, it upsets the status quo. Many of you, I believe, are acquainted with this. I mean, think about when you were first introduced to Jesus. If you had lived a few years, if you'd lived many years, when you committed your life to Jesus, you probably had relationships that were affected. Family, co-workers. And were they needling you? Were they, were they picking on you? What are you becoming, a Jesus freak? What's wrong with you? Are you a holy roller now? You shouldn't be going to that church. That's a cult. What's up? Why don't you come out and party with us like you used to? You know what happened to Friday nights when we would close the place down? I think you're weird now. You're getting kind of weird on me. Have you heard things like that? What do you mean? What do you mean you're not going to pad the contracts here? Didn't we have a deal here at the office? 
You're not going to, what happened to you? You suddenly got a case of the conscience or something. You know, you used to be fun. What in the world is going on? Well, you know what's going on, right? You discovered the truth. You truth come into your life, and it's the truth of Jesus Christ. You discovered the way and the truth and the life, and you realize that all that Jesus Christ did for you when he gave up his life, and he died for you on the cross, and he died for your sin. He didn't just do something that was uh, small and, and unworthy. He died for your sin, and when that sunk in and when that pierced your heart with godly sorrow, you turned and you repented and you put your old life behind you and you put off your old self your old self that was ruled and driven by the desires and passions of this world and and the passions of this life and you've become transformed and you're continuing to transform for Jesus your Lord and your Savior and now you have an eternal goal an eternal goal beyond this life And as you live your life on this earth, you want to model now Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the story of so many of you. And you know his love, not not hate. It's his love that inspires you and moves you. And his way is integrity, not dishonesty. His values are not the values of the world. His ethics are not the ethics of the world. His standards are different than the standards of the world. And that upsets the status quo. And many of you know that, and you understand that, and you live it, because you're turning to Jesus Christ. It's affected relationships. You understand what it's like to have family turn against you, and friends to give up on you, and perhaps your business relationships that have soured because you love Jesus now. And that's the way it was for the people in Ephesus who come to Christ. They were changed. They were changed. They were transformed. And there were so many of these people in that city who came to Jesus that it polarized the community. And now it pitted these silversmiths against the Christians. Yet Paul was committed. The apostle was committed, even though some were turning against him, even though there was opposition. Sometimes there's real danger in telling others about Jesus Christ. But when people are coming against you, stay committed. Stay committed to the cause of Christ. You know, that's one of the dangers of missionary work. But when you stay committed and you model his grace and you model his love, you can win over those who oppose you. When you remain steadfast and you model Jesus' grace and love, even in the face of opposition, you can see others that are one. On Wednesday, if you weren't here on Wednesday, we had a visitor, Bob Reed, from Basket of Hope, the mission that we support in Kenya, East Africa. That's where Sharon and uh, Howard Hester are, and Sharon's been there for many, many years, and Bob Reed is coming up uh, as one who's going to likely look after that ministry as uh, Sharon and Howard, uh, they know they're not going to be here forever, but they're still working hard. Sharon and Howard are over there right now. But Bob shared a story with us, a story of opposition about a pastor that he met over there in Kenya. And several years ago, this pastor, and I think it was 2012, 
they had, a, they had an issue. The pastor and some of his people had an issue with a local village. Now, this was a local village that had a tribe of Somali people there. And the pastor said, let's go to these people and let's respond to them kindly. That's what Jesus would do. Let's respond kindly. Let's not respond with violence. We've got an issue we need to deal with. So let's go there and let's kindly approach the situation. Well, when they went, they were not received kindly. As a matter of fact, there was violence and some were injured and this pastor lost his hand. It was chopped off in the skirmish. Uh, his left hand appeared, it, it was gone. The photo, and you never know if they flip it around, but in the photo, it was the left. And now, some years later here in Kenya, there was a food program, and this ties in. The food pro program had been canceled. It was discontinued in the region there where Basket of Hope is. So Basket of Hope said, we need to do something. And they got on this, and now they've been feeding 850 children every single day. He said every single day. And the way that Bob and Sharon, they approach it, they go to schools. Now, school isn't like our school. We've got a beautiful facility, and uh, it's, uh, it's really quite nice. You know, there's air conditioning and such. No, I feel like I was persecuted. There was no air conditioning in my school when I was in elementary school. We had those windows way at the top with the stick. You had to open them. But that's nothing compared to these African schools. You know, they're tribal, he said. And sometimes they'll meet under a tree, and there's where the school is. And they're nomadic, and sometimes the school's there, and, and sometimes it isn't. But they've, they've approached these schools to feed the children. And they found uh, this was a way to uh, also bring Jesus. So they were feeding kids. And as it turns out, some of the children being fed were from this same Somali village. So Bob Reed, when he was there recently, he made, uh, he made provision to visit this village. And I said, I made sure it, it would be as safe as it could be. I, I wanted to be received safely. He said, this tribe is mostly Muslim. But they welcomed him. He said he, he had to do it through all the, uh, the elders of the tribe. He said, that's the way it works. You have to work through the elders. And he said, I worked through the elders. It seemed safe. We went there and he said, we were welcomed. And we were welcomed warmly. And he said, they thanked us. He said, they thanked us for feeding their children. But they also said something else. Because you see, Bob had a letter from this pastor who lost his arm. And he had written a letter expressing forgiveness to this community that chopped his hand off. And just very genuinely and sincerely, he expressed, I, I want to forgive you. And he said, these tribal leaders said to him, not only do we thank you for feeding our children, but we've been moved by the way this man has forgiven us. So what did Bob say? He said, I am certain, I am certain that the love and the grace of Jesus Christ is able to win these people, to win them out of this, this lost religion of, of Islam where they're, where they're worshiping a false god. He said, I, I believe that our love and the model of Jesus, you know, that this man was affected by one offering him forgiveness. But you know, this, this mission is not without effort. It's not without some pain. It's not without some uh, distress and discomfort and possible danger. Paul wrote to the 
these Corinthians, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that I experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we have felt we received a death sentence. I mean, this is, this is the expression of, I'm at the end of my rope. But he stayed with it. You know, our missions, whether they're on the other side of the world or whether they're right here locally, they're often under great pressure. They're often beyond their ability to endure, even facing danger. You're like Bob Reed in Kenya, East Africa. We hear similar stories from the missionaries we support in Uganda, Mexico, Ecuador, Egypt. These missionaries face difficulty, sometimes danger, and that's true for the ones we support right here in our own community. You know, Abigail Ministries and Compassion Pregnancy. You know, that, that Compassion Pregnancy Center, it deals with the death sentence every day. The death sentence of abortion. I mean, they are there to try to win people to, to save a life. Life challenge and gateway to glory. They work with many who've sought to heal their pain through uh, street drugs and prescription drugs. And those drugs have been killing people and robbing people of their life. That's why we had that prayer meeting here last month or back in August to, uh, to pray about this scourge. Life builders, they're rebuilding and revitalizing a neighborhood that's been devastated by drugs. Reconciliation ministries. They're there to help people whose lives have been lost to pornography and addiction to, to sexual sin. Pornography has been a, a huge influence, not only in, in so many people's lives, but in this scourge of human trafficking, modern-day slavery. That's why we support night angels. You know, they're out there on the streets working to win people out of that dark, uh, perverted underworld. And all of these missionaries, all of them, they could read 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and say, oh, we get it. We understand what Paul's writing about. We have endured and despaired. Even sometimes we feel like we're at the end of our life. Just like the apostle wrote, those were his feelings in his mission work. And that's hard sometimes. It's hard for us sometimes to be, to be sharing Jesus. But these are, these are people that do it every day on the front lines. Even though the Apostle Paul, he was living on the earth for the glory of the Lord, like we heard in the, in the song earlier, you know, live, we're living for the glory of the Lord here on the earth. It, it can be hard sometimes. You know, that's, that's a reality. So what did Paul the missionary do? He reached out for help. He said, uh, Corinthians, hey, I need your help. We know he already asked for funding. He did that at the end of his first letter. He's, he's going to get back to the topic later in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. But he asked for something that everyone can do, everyone can help with, and all our missionaries ask it too. And they ask it from you. Paul wrote, we're trusting God to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. That's what he wrote to, those, to, to that church. Yeah, I believe that every single one of our missionaries, when they visit us and they stand up in front of us to talk to us, that's, that's the first thing most all of them say. Will you pray? Will you pray? We need your prayers. And they're not just asking uh, for some 
uh, you know, tepid response, some uncommitted response. No, they're asking sincerely, will you pray? They believe in the power of prayer. They need the power of prayer. You heard it on the video from both uh, Kelly, Todd. Oh, Kelly said this morning, you can pray. God delights, we heard. God delights when we come to him and ask. Pray for us, these missionaries are asking. You know, the key verse for many missions could be 2 Corinthians 11. Help us by your prayers. And I know we have much to pray about. You know, we've got our own needs. I got my own issues to pray about. How can I remember all these missions? I got my family. I got my work. I got my life. I got to pray about the church. But let's be reminded, you know, they're not asking that you dedicate an hour of your morning every morning to their specific mission. No, but reminded, be reminded from time to time to think about all those workers outside the church. You know, do whatever you got to do. I put little reminders in front of me. I scratch notes. I, I'm a scribbler. I'm a doodler. Uh, what, what does it take for you? So I'll write, a, I'll write a note. I keep things on my desk to remind me, whether it's a, a list of names. I got to pray for that person, pray for that person. You know, we have a little missions brochure. We're going to be passing them out next week. Uh, but you could just take the brochure. I do things like this, stick them in front of my desk, stick them on a bulletin board. There they're listed. It's not, not every hour of every day, but be reminded, even just for one of them. You know, Lord, Lord, compassion pregnancy, I see them. They're local. You know, help them today. They're going to be dealing with people who are coming asking for, uh, you know, thinking about abortions. Will you help them? Pray, pray for these missions. God's asked us to come. You know, we heard again, God already knows, but he wants us to come to him and he wants us to pray. Put a copy of that somewhere when you receive it next week and pray, lift these missions up. Paul was sure that as prayers are made, they're gonna be answered. He wrote that with surety, and he said many are, going to give, many are going to give thanks for answers to prayer, so pray. You know, secondly, these, these mission efforts, they do need our financial support. And I'm asking you on behalf of those missions, and I'm asking you on behalf of our missions committee here that's dedicated, and we have a liaison to every single one of the missions that we support, that they keep up with them, and they keep track of them, and they get reports from them. I'm asking on their behalf for you to help. Without dollars, they don't operate. So I want you to begin thinking and praying thoughtfully just about 2019, because next week, too, you'll you'll get a little faith promise card. And we want to know because we want to be able to let these missions know we can continue. We're going to, we would love to be able to keep the same level of support we've been giving them. So we'll be asking for that. Make, make a commitment. Make a commitment. And let your yes be your yes. That's how Paul put it about his commitment at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Even though his plans had changed, his, his travel plans had changed, and he said, but I, I made a commitment, and it's yes. And this is how he put it at the close of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I just want to share it to you about this, making your yes your yes. Paul wrote this. He said, 
I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia. We read that at the end of 1 Corinthians. And then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. When we make a commitment to whatever, for whatever, stand firm in Christ. Let your yes be yes. We heard Michael up here this morning, and I didn't plan this with him. He didn't know what I would be talking about. He stood up here and he said, I made a commitment. I made a commitment in my life to honor God and to worship him. And he's doing that and keeping his commitment. Not a fickleness. Paul made a point here. Let your yes be yes. Our missions need your support because they're often distressed, enduring, in need of support and comfort. And they enhance the church. You know, they're working in areas where we lack the capacity. We don't have the, the capacity to have a pregnancy center, so we support one. They're equipped in areas where it's not our specialty or our core, but they're working for Jesus and for his kingdom, just as we are in the jails with people on the street, rebuilding neighborhoods. You know, I was with Larry Johnson and Marilyn Johnson a week ago Friday at uh, our Parkway football game. Just happened to bump into them, and got to talk, and I said, Larry, you got six students at the school. That's amazing. He said, no, we don't. We have eight. I'm like, wow. You know, from the neighborhood they're in, that is amazing. They have been revitalizing a neighborhood that's been devastated by drugs. It looked like, you know, it could have disappeared had not they stepped in, and they're teaching people life skills and Jesus and they have to be part of a, a, a church. And Larry said, you know, one of the students being raised by a grandmother, grandma came here to this campus. And he said, she came in here, she started to cry. He said she was just crying. As she looked here and said, if I remember him, uh, how he put it, she said she was like in a movie. Like, Something was happening that was beyond her dreams for this child to have an opportunity to be at a Christian school. I mean, this is what these missions are doing. This is just one. Yeah, praise God, amen. One, you know, that, that's one student, but he's got eight of them. Because people like you said yes, as did Jesus. You know when Jesus said yes, he meant it? Jesus said yes. He said yes to humbling himself to, be, to become a human being. Jesus said yes to being despised and rejected. Jesus said yes to being mocked and scorned. Jesus said yes, I'll hang on that cross. 
You can nail me to it. Jesus said yes to taking on the punishment that we deserve. Jesus said yes, the punishment of the world can be put on me for sin, the sin of mankind, the sin of the world. Jesus said yes to dying on the cross for your sin. And he said yes to dying on a cross for mine. Jesus was not fickle about it. He wasn't yes one day and no the next day. That's not our God. No, he's yes. He's he's yes. And I want you to take the time to thoughtfully consider what you'll say yes to and let your yes be your yes. Now, if there's anyone in this room and you've never said yes to Jesus, you know, we're not here just pretending. There isn't a group of people here who love Jesus because it's, you know, it's a social club. No, there is a reality to being won over from hell to heaven, from death to life. Because Jesus said, yes, I will take your sin. And I'll pay, I'll pay the penalty for it so you can have eternal life. And I don't know if there's anyone in the house this morning and you never really let that sink in. It's never really pierced your heart. You've never really got it, but if you're getting it right now, that's a great thing.